May God speak to you through today's message from Pastor Ryan Loxmo. Well, good morning. My name is Ryan Loxmo. I'm the small groups pastor here at Parkway Fellowship, and we're so glad you're with us today. Uh, as we kick off this new series on Peter, and I have to say, he's one of my favorite uh, biblical figures. I mean, just an unbelievably inspiring person. And so I'm really looking forward to walking through uh, his life and, and his ministry over the next uh, few weeks with you guys. You know, I think everybody loves uh, stories of ordinary people doing extraordinary things. Um, average people being put into situations where they accomplish something that you would never think they'd be capable of. Makes me think of a story of a young, uh, ordinary woman from Massachusetts who was a teacher, uh, who later in her career became a government uh, file clerk. And when the Civil War broke out, um, she volunteered as a nurse. And I don't know if you know this, the American Civil War, 600,000 Americans died. I mean, this was a catastrophe. And there were so many men, soldiers, who needed uh, help on the battlefield and care afterwards. And this young woman got her hands dirty. I mean, she went to the battlefields, to the front lines, I mean, literally bullets whizzing by her head to help these men and to get them back uh, where they could be treated. And she set up hospitals and teams, and she did such an amazing job that uh, many other parts of the armies started to emulate kind of how she did things, and she made a really big impact. And so after the war, she started an organization that would help people who were suffering um, with injuries or illness or natural disasters. And her name was Clara Barton, and she founded the American Red Cross. And today, 150 years later, the American Red Cross mobilizes 500,000 volunteers every year and has 30,000 employees. I mean, it's an unbelievable story. Do you think that anybody would have guessed before the Civil War that Clara Barton, this file clerk, would go on to do something that extraordinary? I don't think anybody would have. And Peter's story is a lot like that. Uh, before meeting Jesus, Peter was a very average person by any standard. Uh, nobody would have guessed that he would go on to be Jesus' right-hand man and become one of the most famous and influential leaders in what became a worldwide movement. I mean, nobody would have guessed that. So what do we know about Peter? Who was he? Where did he come from? Well, the first thing to know uh, about Peter is really something to know about Christianity in general. Christianity got its start uh, during the Roman Empire. This is a map of the Roman Empire. It stretched from Europe over to the Middle East, North Africa. And the heart of the Roman Empire was Rome in Italy. That's where the yellow star was. That's where all of the money and the power was concentrated, okay? And way out on the east side, on the right, in that blue box is Judea, where Jesus was from and Peter, uh, where they lived. This was a very fringe, unimportant, relatively poor corner of the Roman Empire. And Peter was a fisherman. That's what he did for a living. He worked outside. Uh, he had a little fishing business with his brother and a couple of friends. And he worked for a living every single day. And that's who he was. And like most Jews of that era, 2,000 years ago, Peter would have been poor. Um, probably not destitute. I mean, he could earn a living. Uh, but very ordinary, working class type guy. 
Uh, It's probable that Peter was not formally educated, uh, that whatever he knew about God and his faith would have come from his parents, probably some from the local uh, Jewish synagogue. But here's the point. The religious elite were down in Jerusalem in the temple, a world away from the quiet fishing community where Peter lived. And I tell you all that to say that Peter was a regular guy. I mean, that's what I want you to understand. You may have images like this in your mind when you think of the disciples, okay? Flowing robes, colorful robes, golden discs hovering behind their head, okay? You might have that image or maybe something like this, you know, famous paintings by Renaissance artists. By the way, were Jesus and his disciples Swedish? Uh, Because I got to say, those are some white ancient Jews right there, okay? (laughs) They would have looked more like this, okay? Something like that. And uh, Jesus, or uh, Peter would have spent his days uh, working under the hot Mediterranean sun in a little boat that would have looked like this. Those are actually fishermen um, on the Sea of Galilee. Here's the point. The disciples were real, flawed ordinary people, just like us. And Peter was one of them. And one day, Jesus came along, and he called Peter from an ordinary life to something that was very extraordinary. And why would Jesus do that? Why do you think he picked somebody like Peter? Well, throughout the Bible, we see that God looks at the heart. We look at the surface. That's all we can see. God looks at the heart. And so Jesus saw something in Peter nobody else could see. And so he chose Peter uh, to follow him. And in this series, we're going to look at kind of four key spiritual moments in Peter's life. Um, And we're going to see his metamorphosis from just kind of obscure fishermen in Galilee to the unbelievably passionate, bold leader of the early church, which exploded and grew into an empire-wide movement. Nobody would have expected that. Nobody. And I will say it was a bumpy road for Peter. Um, He had some really big wins in his journey following Christ and some really big fails. I mean, some really bad moments. And we're going to see both in this series. And we can look to his life and find real encouragement and inspiration as we seek to follow Christ. Because remember, he was a normal guy Peter was just an average person, and it's stories like his that really show us the extraordinary life that God has for us. Today, we're going to focus on when Jesus first met Peter, uh, when he first called uh, Peter to follow him. So if you pull out your message notes, the question that we're going to ask today is, what can we learn from Peter's call to follow Jesus? Now, to find the answer, we're going to look today at two historical accounts of how Peter got to know Jesus, okay? One of them is in the Gospel of John, one is in the Gospel of Luke, and they record two separate episodes that happened pretty close together uh, when Peter was getting to know Jesus. And so let's start uh, with the one from the Gospel of John. This is when Peter met Jesus for the very first time. Okay, now let me set the story up a little bit before we get into the passage. Uh, There was a guy back then named John the Baptist who had been out there in the wilderness preaching that the Messiah was coming soon, the Savior. 
And he was telling people about it, get ready, the Messiah is coming. And then one day, Jesus walks by, and John says, that's him. The guy I've been telling you about, he's here, and that's him. And a couple of the guys who've been hanging around with John were like, that's him? I am think I'm going to go follow that guy. And so they started walking behind Jesus. And uh, Jesus notices that they're walking behind him, and he turns around to talk to them. And this is what happens in this passage. So let's pick it up in John 138. So turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. Underline that. Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying and spent that day with him. Underline that. They spent that day with him. It was about the 10th hour. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, who was one of the two who heard uh, what John had said and who had followed Jesus, the first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon. Now, that's Peter, okay? Simon was his real name. Peter was his nickname. I'll tell you more about that later. So Andrew finds his brother Simon and tells him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Underline that. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him, this is Peter, and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. So what does this passage tell us? What can we learn from this very first interaction that Peter had with Jesus? Well, number one, it's in your your message notes. Jesus invites us to know him. Jesus invites us to know him. You know, I just love Jesus' response in this passage, the men are following him, they're curious about who he is, and he just says, come and see. You want to know, know who I am? Come and see. And so they spend the day with him, it says. He invited them to know who he was. And one of those guys, the passage says, was Andrew, who was Peter's brother. And so Andrew then goes and gets Peter and brings him to Jesus, and Jesus gives him that nickname, Peter. His real name was Simon. And like I said, I'll come back to the significance of that a little bit. But did you notice that Peter did not initiate that at all? In fact, did Peter say anything in this passage? He didn't even say a word. And I think that's a great illustration of the fact that Jesus has initiated a relationship with all of us. That he took the first step in the relationship by coming to this earth to die for our sins, to build a bridge between us and God across the chasm of sin that we have created. And it's because God loves us that he did that. That's why he sent Jesus. Our sin had to be dealt with. God is a just God, and sin has a penalty. And God didn't want there to be any barrier between us and him. So he sent Jesus to pay that penalty for us so that we can have a relationship with God. Jesus sacrificed himself. He initiated so that we would have the ability to be declared innocent of our sins in God's eyes because Jesus paid the price for our sins. Jesus initiated that relationship. Jesus has done that for all of us, for you. Like the men who followed him that day, Jesus has said, come and see to all of us. And there was an invitation on the table for Peter that day as well. And there is an invitation on the table for all of us with our names on it. 
to meet Christ, to put our trust in him for salvation. And many of us in this room have already done that. We have opened that invitation with our name on it. We have accepted that offer. We have placed our trust in Christ. And as a result, our sins are no longer counted against us. We have been once and for all declared innocent, and we have the hope, the assurance that one day we will spend eternity in heaven with God. We have that hope. But for those of us who have accepted that invitation, we have to remember there are countless other invitations still sitting on the table, unopened, for our kids, our neighbors, our friends, our coworkers, our family members, uh, that person who you're Facebook friends with, who you can't stand every time something comes in your newsfeed, there's an invitation on the table with their name on it too. Because God loves all of us. Jesus died for everybody. And so if you have already accepted your invitation and become a Christ follower, maybe you need to play the role of Andrew in this story, right? Be the Andrew to let somebody else know that there's an invitation for them and to bring them to learn about Christ. And you, you can be an Andrew in many ways. You could uh, read through a book of the Bible with somebody who doesn't know Jesus and just engage in a dialogue uh, with them about it. You could share your story of faith with someone. A uh, really easy way to do it is just invite people to come to church. Be the Andrew. Bring them here. Come and see. That's what Christ said. He has invited all of us. Come and see. And uh, maybe some of you in this room have never realized that there is even an invitation for you on the table with your name on it. You've never heard the message that God loves you, that Jesus died for you, that he initiated that relationship with you. Now, let me just say, God knows everything about you. He knows everything about you. And he loves you. He, he, he died for you long before you were born, and he knew everything you'd ever do. He initiated that. And if you place your trust in Christ, he will save you. Your sins will not be counted against you. You can't earn your way to heaven. I mean, you can't. There, you cannot do good enough to get to heaven. You don't have to get God to like you. He's crazy about you. He loves you more than you could ever imagine. That's why he sent Jesus to die for you. And so if you want to begin your relationship with Christ today, you just have to pray and ask God uh, to forgive you of your sins and, and say that you trust Christ. Place your faith in him. And, and the Bible's clear. He will come into your life and save you. And there's actually a sample prayer on the back of your message notes. It's not a magical prayer. It's just an example of the kind of prayer that I'm talking about. There is an invitation with your name on it. Accept it today. God loves you and he wants to begin a relationship with you. Come and see. He said it to all of us. But let's continue with one of Peter's next encounters with Jesus. This one's in Luke 5. And let me set the scene uh, for this. This happened a little bit later after this first uh, episode where Peter first met Jesus, and Jesus gave him that nickname. Uh, so Jesus, there's a little bit of a, a buzz going on around about Jesus. It's like, okay, this guy, something's unusual about this man. He's like healing people, and there's all these crowds. And so often, Jesus struggled with 
needing a little bit of space to be able to do his ministry. And so in this scene, he's on the beach and this crowd is just like pressing in on him and he's like literally backing up against the water. He has no more space. And so he sees a couple of boats and he gets in a boat and he backs it away from the shore like a few feet and he's gonna teach the crowd that is gathered on the beach. Well, guess whose boat that was that he just got into? It was Peter's. And so he teaches the crowd from the boat. Now look what happens next in Luke 5, 4 to 11. It says, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, remember that's Peter, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But, and I want you to underline the rest of this verse, because you say so, I will let down the nets. And when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw this, underline the rest of this verse, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken, and so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid, from now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, and then underlined this last phrase, left everything and followed him. So what can we learn from this episode, this exchange between Peter and Jesus? How can we respond like Peter did? Number two, it's in your message notes. Um, There's three things we're going to look at. I can respond to Jesus like Peter did by doing three things. And I'm going to kind of list them out, and then we'll unpack each one. So number one, place my trust in Christ. I can respond to Jesus like Peter did by placing my trust in Christ. Number two, acknowledging God's sovereignty. Okay, that's a word you probably don't spell very often in your life, so let me spell it for you now. S O. V-E-R-E-I-G-N-T-Y. Acknowledging God's sovereignty. Now look, that's kind of a fancy theological word, but it's, there's really almost no other word that captures what that means. It means God's supremacy, okay? The fact that he is the ruler of all creation and every aspect of our lives, okay? He is sovereign. God is sovereign, okay? That's what sovereignty means. And then number three, following Jesus, even if it costs me. Those are the three things that we can do to respond like Peter did. Place our trust in Christ, acknowledge God's sovereignty, and follow Jesus, even if it costs me. So let's start with the first one. Peter placed his trust in Christ, right? He let the nets down in spite of all of his professional experience as a fisherman that told him that was absolutely pointless, Okay, he decided to trust Jesus in that moment in spite of his doubts. And that really is what faith is all about, is making a conscious choice to trust Christ. And Peter did that in that situation. And and if we're going to have a relationship with Jesus, we have to choose to trust him continually. Okay, it's not just one thing you do at one time when you become a Christ follower. It's a choice every single day and at many moments within every single day to continue to trust Christ, to to acknowledge that he's God and he knows better than we do about our lives and what we need. And so we have to trust him. 
when things are going well, and when our lives are a total mess. We have to trust him either way. You know, sometimes when things are going well, we don't think that we really need to trust God, right? I mean, everything's fine. Let's, let's say, for example, you get a big promotion at work. That's maybe not a moment where you feel like you need to trust God, but you do. I mean, you're getting a lot of additional responsibility usually, more money usually, and you've got to trust that God is going to guide you in that opportunity and help you to be wise and humble and, and go with you through that. I mean, you have to trust God in the great times as well. How about when you have young kids in the house? Believe me, you have to trust that Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, is going to show you how to raise them in a wise and loving and godly way. And believe me, I mean, I have to do that every single day. I've got a two-year-old and a five-month-old, and I'm sleep-deprived, and that's just, okay, I have to trust God every single day with that. And every night on my knees, I pray that the Lord would show me and Ashley how to be the parents that he wants us to be. And, you know, sometimes I feel like, man, we're, we're rocking this thing. It's great. And then other times I feel like, man, not so much. You have to trust God in both situations, okay? How about when something uh, really rough happens in your family? Uh, illness, maybe a death in the family, a a financial disaster of some sort, or just like a really painful, broken relationship, that's when you really have to trust God. You have to trust God in the good times and the bad. You have to trust him in both. And that's what Peter did in this situation, is he trusted Jesus and he followed him. The second thing Peter did that we've got to do is we've got to acknowledge God's sovereignty, his supremacy over all of creation in our lives. And you have to have that perspective. I mean, that's what Peter was doing when he said, after the nets were full, when he said to Jesus, okay, can you get away from me, please? Because I am a sinful man. What he was saying there is, you're God and I'm not, and I'm a little too close to you right now because you're holy and I'm not. And he had that sense of God's sovereignty, what a a big deal God's power is. And so we have to have that perspective. And, And I will say, this is a key step in our spiritual journey, is to acknowledge God's sovereignty over the world and our lives. And I really need you to hear me on this. God is not a genie in a bottle. Okay, if you have like an Aladdin-based theology of God, that's not it, okay? God is not a genie in a bottle. He is not a powerful friend who's going to help you achieve your dreams and your goals and your aspirations. That's not who God is. God is God. His agenda is what matters, not ours. And if we follow Christ, we are in a continual process of more fully surrendering our lives to him. That's what following Christ is about. That's why Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. He was evoking the crucifixion. Take up your cross and follow me. That means put to death everything you think you want for your life. You may get some of those things. You may get none of them. But following Christ means that you have to put to death your agendas and surrender yourselves fully. And I will say, if you never really 
acknowledge God's sovereignty at some point, your faith will eventually look very unlike biblical Christianity. That's just the truth. God's sovereignty is a key part of what it means to follow Christ. And then finally from this passage, the last thing Jesus did or Peter did is you've got to follow Jesus. I mean, Peter left everything literally to follow Christ. He left his family business. He he left his sense of security, everything he built. He left it to follow Christ. And look, I'm not saying Jesus is telling all of us to quit our jobs. Like, that's not what I'm saying. But we have to be willing to quit our jobs and do whatever we need to do to follow Christ. We have to have that willingness. And so ask yourself this question, okay? And and just be honest with yourself. You you don't have to give yourself like the church answer because you're in church. Just answer this question honestly for yourself. Would I be willing to go anywhere God asked me to, even if it meant great personal, financial, and professional sacrifice? Would you? I mean, I have to ask myself that question. We all have to ask ourselves that question. I mean, Peter just walked away from probably the most like lucrative moment in his fishing career, I'm guessing. You know, two boats literally sinking full of fish. I mean, that's, that's a good moment. And he left it all. He just walked away. And that willingness to follow Christ anywhere, even if he never asks you to go there, that willingness is a part of what it means to truly follow Christ. Submitting to God's will to follow him wherever he leads, no matter the cost. There's one last thing uh, about Peter's first encounter with Christ. I want to bring out, and it actually appeared in both of the passages we looked at, and it's number three, uh, you're filling there. It's allow Jesus to cast his vision for my life. Allow Jesus to cast his vision for my life. And Jesus actually did this in two really interesting ways. In the John passage, I reprinted the verse right there for you under point three. Uh, Jesus said to Peter, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. Now here's what's going on. Uh, Simon, son of John, that was his name. That's what Peter was known as. It's a very typical Jewish format of a name of that time. You were known as the the son of your father. And then he gives him this nickname. He says, you're going to be called Cephas. Now, Cephas is an Aramaic word. Jesus and, and most Jews of that day spoke Aramaic. That was the language, the common language in that area. And Cephas meant rock. That's what that word meant, is rock. And then John says, you know, which when translated is Peter, because John was writing in Greek. Most people in the Roman Empire spoke Greek. The Greek word for rock is Petros, which is where the word Peter came from. And so Peter's name is a nickname that Jesus gave to him, which meant rock. So if you haven't written that down, write down rock in the margin next to Peter. And why would Jesus give him that name? He did it to cast a vision for Peter's life, to give him a new identity, to say, you're going to be the leader of my disciples. You're going to be the bedrock of faith 
of this early Christian community. You're going to guide the early church with a steady hand. You are going to be a pillar of faith. And he said this to Peter in the first 10 seconds they met. He was casting a vision for who Peter was going to become. And he also cast a vision for Peter's life in the Luke passage. I reprinted that part for you there too. He says, don't be afraid. From now on, you're going to fish for people. That was going to be his new mission, is he was going to go tell the world about Christ to let people know they've been invited, that they can come and see. So Jesus gave Peter a new identity, and he gave him a new mission. Jesus cast his vision into Peter's life. And Jesus has cast a vision for all of us. We, we know from his teachings that we are supposed to know God and love him and serve him and tell others about him and, you know, spread the hope of his gospel to make our priorities his priorities, to put God on the throne of our life. That is the vision that he has cast for all of us, but he has also cast specific individual visions for all of us. Things he wants to do for his kingdom through us, through the gifts and talents and personalities that he gave each one of us. Jesus wants to do that. Maybe some of you already know what that is. You you feel like Jesus has cast a vision for your life and you know what it is, but you have yet to take that first step on the road to fulfilling that vision that Christ has given you. If that's you, it is time to take the first step, just like Peter did. And rest assured that if God calls you to a vision, he will walk with you through every step of it. And so you don't have to be afraid. You know, Peter, he got to know Jesus because Jesus invited him to come and see, just like he's invited all of us. And so Peter placed his trust in Christ, and he acknowledged God's sovereignty, and he left everything to follow Jesus. And Peter heard that vision that Jesus cast for his life, that he would be the rock, that he would fish for people, and Peter lived that out. He actually saw that vision come true. And over the next three weeks, we are going to see exactly how Peter lived up to that nickname that Jesus gave him. And we're going to learn a lot about our own spiritual journeys in the process. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that you love us so deeply beyond our comprehension. That in spite of all of our sins, in spite of all the ways that we alienate ourselves from you, you sent your son Jesus to die for us. You initiated that relationship with us long before we were even born. And you knew everything that we would ever do. And yet you loved us. And I pray, Father, that uh, you would help all of us to see you for who you are. I pray especially, Father, for the people in this room who were unaware that they had an invitation with their name on it. And I pray, Lord, that today they would open that invitation and come into a relationship with you. And Father, I pray that over the next few weeks you would teach all of us uh, through the example of Peter of what it means to fully trust you and to follow you. And I pray that you would inspire and encourage us through that. It's in Christ's name I pray.
Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message. For more information about Parkway Fellowship, find us online at parkwayfellowship.com or facebook.com slash parkwayfellowship. You can also download our mobile app for access to the most recent messages, video content, and much more. It is available both in the Apple App Store and Android's Google Play.